Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. This is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd. And today, I'm going to be featuring two, as I like to call them, unknown, or I shouldn't say unknown, lesser known gems that are equally entertaining. So, without further ado, this is Terra Radio. The two radio shows featured tonight are, well, I guess the first one, it's probably well known and that is Dimension X and the second program is entitled Dark Venture now I do know Dimension X is more in the science fiction genre but as I said before when I started the second season of this podcast I wanted to delve more I wanted to delve into other genres And I don't mean comedy or musical, but more like the dramas as well as science fiction that still presented certain episodes that could still be seen as thrillers or even within the horror genre, if you will. Now, Dimension X, as I just stated, was a science fiction anthology series that ran on NBC And it debuted on April 8th, 1950, and concluded on September 29th, 1951. It was directed by Edward King and Fred Wyhe, and the announcer was Norman Rose. The radio play tonight is entitled Marionettes Incorporated, and it was written by the great Ray Bradbury and this one is mm, I think you're going to enjoy this one this was first broadcasted on August 30th in 1951 so you know the drill sit back turn down the lights and listen to Marionettes Incorporated Adventures in time and space. Told in future tense. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction, bring you Dimension X. By the year 1990, we should see many amazing technological advances. And yet, in many ways, life will be very much the same. A husband will stop off at a bar on his way home and perhaps unburden himself a little to a friendly bartender. Number one, Mr. Smith. Uh, what time is it, Sam? Why, almost ten o'clock, Mr. Smith. One more. 
listening to them. The old songs are still the best. Thomas Smith. Yes, Sam. I remember singing that one back in 1974. Just before I met my wife. Golden days, Sam. Here's your beer, Mr. Smith. Ah, thanks. Ah, that's good. <laughs> Almost feels if I can go home and face Nettie now. Wife trouble, Mr. Smith? Wife trouble, Sam. Fight? Oh, never. Nettie and I never fight. Nettie's too mad about me ever to fight with me. She adores me. Worships the ground I walk on. Well, this is something new. I remember only last year you was complaining she was throwing things. Times have changed. Only wish she was still throwing things. At least in those days I could walk out and slam the door with a clear conscience. Now she's so sweet and loving, I feel like a murderer. Every time I stop in for a beer, I'm away home. Tough, Mr. Smith. Tough. Ever hear the expression, love will fly if held too lightly? Love will die if held too tightly? Can't say I ever did. If only she'd relax a little bit. See bruise on my lip? Hmm. She kisses me. Huh? For an hour every night when I come home. Can you do anything for her? I try. I remind her that she really wanted to marry Harvey Tubman. I remind her how we used to have those battles till the neighbors called the robot police. Nothing works. I'm gone for an hour. She cries. Well, me, I ain't got that kind of trouble. I hang around too much, and Mabel calls me a loafer and turns me up. And that's a sad state. Can't figure him out. Well, I guess I'll go home and feed myself to the lioness. I tell you, Sam, when Nettie gets finished demonstrating how much she's missed me, I feel like a man who's been stuffed into an electronic washing machine with a dial set at rinse dry. How much do I owe you? The Sixty cents. Well, if it isn't Henry Smith. Brailing. So I live and breathe Walter Brailing. What are you doing here? Oh, having the night out. Does Gloria know about this? Things have changed, Henry. I thought she kept you chained to the bedpost most of the time. Not anymore, Henry. Not anymore. Oh, you aren't divorced, are you? Oh, no. Gloria's home. What'd you do? Put a sleeping powder in her coffee? Oh, goodness, no, Henry. That would be highly unethical. I can't believe you just walked out on it. Ten years of marriage, Henry, and I never had a night to myself. But it'll be different from now on. Oh? By the way, Henry, what time is it? Ten o'clock. Well, I guess I'd better be going. Scared? No, don't want to crowd my luck. Although, really, there's no nothing to worry about. Uh, I'd sure like to know how you do it, Walter. Would you really? Yes. All right, Henry. Since you've always been a friend of mine, I'll let you in on it. Come on, my car is outside. I'll drive you home and let you see how it's done. Well, that's nice of you, Walter. Not at all, Henry. We fellows have to stick together. I don't suppose you know how Gloria and I came to be married in the first place, eh? No, I don't. Well, one evening, she threatened to tear off her clothing and call the police unless I married her. No. Oh, yes. Well, that's a bit extreme, isn't it? Well, Gloria was always a nervous girl. I bet you've had a pretty wretched time of it. Oh, yes, it didn't take long for me to become the laughing stock of the neighborhood. Handpecked railing, they used to call me. I know, but things are changing now. Here, you see this? What's that? A single ticket to Rio on the morning rocket. I have hotel reservations there for a month. A whole month, Henry, to have a fling. Won't Gloria make trouble over that? That's the amazing part of it, Henry. She won't even know I'm gone. I'll be back in a month and no one the wiser. You don't believe me, do you? Frankly, no. Just how are you going to swing it, Walter? That's the secret, Henry. I tell you, it's the most wonderful thing ever invented. Worth every cent I paid for it. What is it? I'm going to show you. Here's my house. Notice the lights are all out. Shh. 
We'll wait up there on the front porch. Walter, you haven't gone off your rocker, have you? Now, I meow twice. Watch the window in my bedroom. Well, it looks as if somebody... Hey, there's a man up there. He's looking out. Good. He sees me. He'll be down directly. Isn't it a bit embarrassing for you, Walter? Oh, not at all. You'll find out. Here he comes. Hello, B2. Oh, good evening, Mr. Brayling. Close the door. Either I'm going out of my mind or there are two of you. You never told me you had a twin brother. I don't. But if this fellow weren't in pajamas, I couldn't tell you apart. That's the secret, Henry. Everything go all right, B2? Oh, just fine, Miss Fraley. Uh-huh. I suppose my wife was in her usual good form this evening. As a matter of fact, we spent the evening playing gin. No screaming. No shouting accusation. Oh, no, sir. It was a very quiet evening. Well, this is even better than I thought. Well, Marionettes Incorporated aims to satisfy, sir. Did he say Marionettes Incorporated? That's right, Henry. Lick him over. Isn't he excellently fashioned? <laughs> you wouldn't dream he was a robot, a, a, a marionette, eh? Well, I can't believe it. It's against the law, of course, to duplicate a human like this, but it's well worth the opportunity. Well, I still don't believe it. You can't tell him from a human. Only one way, Henry. Put your ear next to his chest. Listen. That's it. Machinery. Water, old man. How long has this been going on? I've had him a month, Henry. I keep him in the cellar in my toolbox. Now, tonight, I told Gloria I'd like to be excused for five minutes to run down to the cigar store. She agreed. I went down to the cellar, took out Brailing 2, sent him back upstairs to sit with my wife until I got home. Miraculous. Of course, it doesn't seem quite ethical somehow. Oh, nonsense. It's highly ethical. I've been home all evening. I shall be home with her for the next month. In the meantime, another gentleman named Walter Brailing will be in Rio having the time of his life. Well, can he walk around without fuel for a month? Oh, he refuels himself. And he's built to do everything. Eat, drink, sleep. You'll take good care of my wife, won't you, B2? Oh, of course. Your wife is rather nice. I've grown quite fond of her. You see? Walter, old man, how long has this Marionettes Incorporated outfit been in business? Secretly, for two years now. Why? Well, I wonder, is there a possibility that I might get in touch with them? You? But you love your netting. Well, I know, but even so, uh, it's a little respite, uh... Night or two once a month. And she loves you dearly. So much she can't bear to leave me with for half an hour. You know that lately she's taken to calling me up at work ten or twelve times a day to talk baby talk? Your Nettie. My Nettie. What do you say, old man? Favorite with an old buddy? Fellow lodge member? Mm, well, I... I could put you in touch with the man who makes them. Of course, you'd be pledged to secrecy once you learned where he's located. Oh, naturally. Very well, Henry. Here's his card. Marionettes Incorporated, W. Zig, proprietor and owner. New humanoid plastic 1990 model guaranteed against wear. Our motto, no strings attached. Address the jumble shop, 43 South Wesley Drive. And Mr. Zig will take good care of you, Henry. He's a charming fellow, a real craftsman. Wonderful. I'll see him first thing tomorrow. Well, I'd better be getting home now, though. Nettie's probably splitting a gasket. Mm. See you around, old man, after I get back from Rio. And while I'm gone, you might drop around regularly, just as you always have. Treat Brailing, too, here as if he were me. Otherwise, Gloria might be suspicious. Oh, I will. And, oh, uh, before I go, uh, these marionettes are safe, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Oh, tell them, B2. We're guaranteed. Fine. Well, good night, Walter. Good night, uh, B2. Uh, good night, uh, Mr. Smith. Good night, Henry. Ah, well, 
said someone else will have a chance at a little happiness and freedom. All right, Praline too. Back into the cellar box for you. Come on. Down the steps. That's it. It's very damp down here, Mr. Brayling. Bad plumbing. Well, here we are. Brayling. Yes. Before you put me back into the toolbox, could we have a word? Certainly, old man. This toolbox. What about it? Well, I don't like it, Mr. Brayling. Why not? It's cramped. Oh. Well, I'll try to fix up something more comfortable when I get back from Rio. All right, now. Before Glory gets worried back... Marionettes are made to move, not to keep still. How would you like to lie in a stuffy old box most of the time? I didn't realize you fellas were that sensitive. Well, you wouldn't like it at all. I keep running. There's no way to shut me off. I have my feelings, you know. Hmm. Well, day after tomorrow, I'll be off to Rio. And you won't have to stay in the box for a whole month. Or you can move upstairs. But when you get back from Rio, I'll go back in the box. Mr. Zig didn't tell me at Marionettes Incorporated that it was possible to get a difficult specimen. There's a lot he doesn't know about us. We're pretty new. Now, look at... Now, look here, B2. This has gone far enough. I'll never get to Rio. Now, come on, now. Into the box. And another thing. Well... Your wife. What about my wife? Well, I... I've grown quite fond of her. Well, I'm glad you enjoy your employment. You'll have the whole month. But you don't quite understand, Brayling. I've fallen in love with her. You what? You just don't appreciate her. Maybe if you hadn't always acted so meek and apologetic about everything, she'd have a little more respect for you as a man. Well, now, you aren't supposed to behave like this. You know you think you... Well, anyway, I could be very happy if I were married to Glory. Aren't you forgetting you're nothing but a big, overgrown puppet? Careful, Brayley. I'm sensitive. All right. All right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now, look. Uh, you wouldn't mind waiting here a moment, would you? I have to go upstairs and make a phone call. To whom? Oh, nobody important. I, uh... I have to call Henry Smith about something. You're lying. You're going to call Marionettes Incorporated and tell Mr. Zig to come and get Oh, no. Oh, no, really, I'm not. I, I was... Uh, B2, stay away. Stand where you are, Brayling. Now, now, B2, take your hand off my arm. No, Brayling. What are you going to do? Nothing much. I'm just going to put you in the toolbox, lock it, and lose the key. What? And then I'll buy another ticket to Rio, and Gloria and I can have a wonderful vacation. You're insane. Am I? Now, wait a minute. Hold on, B2. Now, don't be rash. Let's talk this over. Goodbye, Brayling. Hey, no, stop it. Don't. Let's go. Help. We're knocking. I'm just making sure the boiler hasn't exploded. Uh, you go back to bed. I'll be up soon. Well, hurry, won't you? We had such a nice evening. I'm lonesome for you. Oh, you won't ever be lonesome again, darling. Never again. Oh, good morning, darling. How are you? Have a nice time last night? I missed you so. Breakfast ready? Aren't you going to kiss me good morning? Oh, uh, yes, I suppose so. Oh. Oh, you're so wonderful, Henry. I guess I'm the luckiest person in the world. Oh. Uh, here's your coffee. And how would you like your eggs? Anyway, it's all. Oh, but I want to please you. Oh, Nettie, uh, skipped the eggs this morning. Oh, but you have to eat to keep well, darling. Oh, I'm very healthy. I uh, have an early business appointment. Oh? Uh, it's a friend of Walter Brayling's. I met Walter last night, and he... Yes? Uh, well, uh, I'd better be off. 
Now, Maddie, don't look as if I were on my way to Rio or something. I'm only going to work. It's just that I miss you so. I want to be with you all the time. Do I have to go through this every morning? I'll be back at supper. There's no need to cry now, is there? Uh, no, darling. You, you aren't displeased with me, are you? I try so hard to do everything just as I think you'll like it. No, I'm not displeased. Well, goodbye, dear. Henry? Yes? You forgot to kiss me goodbye. No strings attached, no strings attached. A very nice puppet with no strings attached. <laughs> Let's see now. The Jumble Shop, 43 South Wesley. That should be about... Ah, here it is. Yes? Mr. Zig? Yes? Uh, Walter Brayling recommended me. Enter. Your name? Henry Smith, uh, 55 Evergreen Place. And what can we do for you, Mr. Smith? Well, uh, Brayling showed me his marionette last night. I see. I uh, was intrigued with the idea. And not that my wife is anything like that female meat grinder that he's married to, you understand, but uh, well, I'm a man who enjoys an occasional evening with a boy. <laughs> Without complication. Naturally. So I thought... That uh, I could duplicate you. Exactly. I think it might be arranged. You understand the need for secrecy, of course. Although an act is pending in Congress to legalize Marionettes Incorporated, it is still a felony to use one of my creations. Oh, I understand. And there is the matter of uh, the payment. How much? $9,000. $9,000? Well, I have an inferior model at $7,500. No, if I go through with this, nothing's too good for Nettie. Nettie's my wife. We've been putting money aside to buy a summer house in Westport. Sometimes we must choose. Yes. Perhaps I could just slip out 9000 It's a joint account. Um, how soon can I have it? I could construct the mannequin in about two months' time. Good. Shall I consider the order placed? At once. Of course, you would have to report here for a body mold, color index of your hair, lips, skin, etc. And I'll have to do a complete electro-emotional calibration. Uh, you guarantee that these models are foolproof? As foolproof as I can make them, Mr. Smith, and I've had years of training. No chance of detection? None whatsoever. I've never had a complaint. Walter Brayling seems satisfied enough. I assure you, he's been taken care of in high style. Uh, there was some way to be sure. You have our guarantee. Very well, Mr. Zig. I'll get the money from the bank and send it to you. Fine. You'll be just as delighted with yours as Walter Brayling is with his. Oh, tell her. Yes, Mr. Smith? I'd like to cash this draft on my joint account. Yes, sir. $9,000, sir. That's right. Well, I'm afraid that's impossible, Mr. Smith. Impossible? My wife and I have a good $15,000 in our account. You're mistaken, Mr. Smith. Oh, but I know... Here's your card, sir. You see, Mrs. Smith withdrew $10,000 recently. $10,000? Hmm. Not even telling me? I remember it distinctly, Mr. Smith. She said it was for a surprise for you. Good Lord. She bought that house in Connecticut. My birthday's next week. Well, I'll have to borrow it somewhere. I've already contracted... Yes, sir. Quite a surprise for you, eh, Mr. Smith? Yes? Oh, hello, Henry. Hello, Gloria. Is Walter home? I'd like to speak to him. Well, come in. Uh, thank you. Is something wrong? Well, just some private business. Matter of a loan. Well, he went down to the travel bureau, but he should be back soon. We're going to Rio, you know. 
both of you? Isn't it wonderful? I don't know what's come over Walter lately. He's been so romantic. Last night he came upstairs and said, Darling, he hasn't called me darling in years. Darling, we're going to take a honeymoon to Rio. So we're leaving tomorrow. Anything wrong, Henry? No. No, I'm just a little surprised, that's all. Well, he should be back soon. Will you wait? Yes, yes, I'd better. Say, as long as you're over here, maybe you can help me with something. What? Well, I went downstairs to get an old suitcase a little while ago, and I heard the strangest noises near that old tool chest of Walter's. He mentioned that the boiler was acting up, and I'm afraid to go down there again. I wonder if you'd take a look. What kind of noises? Like a... like a thumping sound. Maybe I'd better go down, Gloria. You stay up here. Should I call a plumber, do you think? No, no, I'll take care of it. Start down a bath. Well, I'll have a look. Good Lord. Good Lord. Hello. Hello in there. Well, just a minute. Keep quiet, for goodness sake. I have to smash the lock. Ah, now, what in the... Henry, Henry, thank God you've come. Be quiet. I've been there all night. I thought I'd suffocate. He tried to kill me, Henry. He tried to murder me. Uh, oh, wh- which one are you? Don't be an idiot. I'm Walter. What happened? Be true to marionette. He stuffed me in the toolbox and left me to suffocate. Well, fortunately, I found an old file in there and managed to get an air hole through the wood. Good Lord. He's taking Gloria with him to Rio. Have they left yet? No, he's gone downtown for the ticket. Oh, good. We may just have time. For what? To get down to Marionette Incorporated and tell Zig to stop him. Well, you're in no condition. Oh, don't to... worry about me. We can't waste any time. Come on. Oh, but Gloria... Oh, sneak out. Tell her. Tell her you fixed the plumbing. Tell her anything. I'll meet you outside. All right. Oh, what a fool I've been. What a fool I almost was. I went down and ordered one of those things today. <laughs> here in my wallet. Honeymoon for two under the pampas moon. Oh, Walter, it's so nice to have you like this. You like the change? I don't know what did it, but whatever it is, I'm in favor of it. I hope it's permanent. Oh, I intend to see that it is. Oh, by the way, darling, do you happen to remember where that old pistol of mine is? Pistol? Yes, I, I just thought since we're going to be traveling in strange countries, it wouldn't hurt to bring it along. Oh, well, I think it's here in the sideboard. Yes, there. Oh, Walter, you know how frightened I am of those things. Oh, I'll be very careful of it. In fact, uh, I think I'll go down in the basement and practice. Uh, not really shooting it, of course, just to make sure it's in good working order. Oh, do be careful, darling. Oh, I will. Uh, if you should hear a shot, dear, don't be frightened. I may fire it into a block of wood just to test it. Perhaps I'll fire into that old tool chest of mine. Yeah, that should absorb it. Oh, speaking of that tool chest... Yes, what about it? It reminds me that Henry Smith was here. Oh? Yeah, I heard some noises downstairs, dear, and he went down to fix the plumbing. Is he... Uh... Still down there? No, he left. I really don't understand it. He seemed so anxious to see you before he went down to the cellar, and then he just left. Oh. Did he, uh, stop the noises? Well, he must have. I don't hear them. I see. Well, what is it, dear? I have to go out for a while, darling. But Walter, where do we have to pack if we're leaving? I'll be back soon. There's something very important I have to attend to. Well, what is oh, it? Just some personal business with uh, Henry Smith. Uh, please excuse me, darling, and don't worry. When I get back, everything will be fixed once and for all. Yes, we can enjoy the rest of our lives just as though the old Walter Brayling never existed. Ah, 
Mr. Brayling and Mr. Smith. Come... Yes, Mr. Zig. Come in, come in, gentlemen. We certainly will come in. What brings you? A good deal, Mr. Zig. Yes, indeed, a good deal. If I might know exactly, uh, you seem so upset. Tell him, Henry. You told me your marionettes were foolproof, Mr. Zig. They are. My personal guarantee goes with each no, one We of know them. all about your personal guarantee. Except that Mr. Brayling's dummy knocked him out, stuffed him in a toolbox to suffocate, and is making plans to run away with his wife. Oh, dear. Well, Mr. Zig? Oh, I really don't know what to say, gentlemen. You see, I work alone. I make these marionettes myself so that I can see to it personally that there are no errors. However, even the finest craftsman can make a mistake once in a while. What Mr. Brayling and I would like to know, Mr. Zig, is exactly what are you planning to do to stop this overambitious robot? Well, of course, we shall have to recover B2 first. And then I will simply uh, dismantle him. He doesn't seem to want to be dismantled, Mr. Zig. In fact, I think you'll have trouble catching him. Maybe I can save you the trouble, gentlemen. Me too. Look out. He has a gun. I thought I'd find you here when I discovered the tool chest empty. Now, look, B2, uh, whatever you're planning to do, you won't get away with it. I think I will. Mr. Zig, Mr. Zig, can't you do something? I'm afraid I can't think of anything. I'll save you the trouble because I'm going to kill the three of you. Oh, you won't get away with no? it. No. You forget that Gloria and I will be on a plane to Rio in a few hours. All right, Mr. Zeke. You first. Oh, now, see here. This isn't fair. I created you. You can't do... Grab him. I've got him. I've got him. Quick. Quick, quick that hammer. Well, that's the end of Burling, too. Oh, thank heaven. Henry. Henry, he got big... Right through the... Oh, holy uh, jumping catfish. Henry, look at him. Look at Zig. Nothing but a mass of coils and springs, just like Brayling, too. Well, he's nothing but a marionette. He's no different from Walter. You know what this means? It's incredible. A marionette building other marionettes. But someone must have built Mr. Zig original. Well, perhaps Mr. Zig turned on whoever built him the same way that Brayling, too, turned on you. Well, at any rate, we'll never know. I wonder how many of these things are walking around among us. Oh, I shudder to think of it. Some of our best friends might be... Come on, we got to get out of here. But the police... Don't be a fool. There's been no crime committed here. All the police will find is two oversized puppets with the springs coming out of them. But they seem so lifelike. They're only machinery. You've got to remember that. Well, what'll I tell Gloria? If I were you, Brailing, I wouldn't tell Gloria a thing. I'd simply pick up that other ticket to Rio and take her on a honeymoon. What about you, Henry? What are you going to do? Me? I'm going home and give Nettie a kiss that'll singe her hair. I'll even forgive her for taking that $10,000 out of the bank without telling me. You know... When I think of what might have happened if I'd gone through with this marionette thing, it what makes a fellow realize how lucky he is to be married to a decent woman. Let's go. Nettie! Nettie! Where are you, sweetheart? I've missed you today. Come here. Oh, Henry. Oh. Oh, you look tired, darling. Can I do something for you? Just tell me I'm yours to command. Oh, a man's a fool to jeopardize a nice home and a loving wife like you. You do love me, don't you, Nettie? You know I do. Here, uh, let me get your slippers on. No. Oh, feels good to sit back on the sofa and relax. You don't know what a trying day I've had. I can see you're all upset. It isn't anything I've done, is it, dear? Well, in a way, something you've done is connected with it. What's that, darling? The money. Money? I know you want to surprise me with the house, darling, but 
Really, you shouldn't have taken that money out of the bank without consulting me. Henry, I don't even know what you're talking oh, about. Now, Maddie. But I don't. Maddie. Oh, you're so upset, darling. If it's anything important, let's talk about it later. Meanwhile, why don't you just put your head on my shoulder and rest? I must admit that sounds enticing. Here. Let me make you comfortable. There. <sighs> now you just close your eyes. That's it. Nettie. Yes, darling. You hear something? No, darling. You sure? Like what? Well, like the like the ticking of a clock. No. Well, strange, I don't hear it now, but when I had my ear against your chest. Oh no. Oh no. What are you talking about? No, darling? I won't believe it. You are my Nettie, aren't you? You're a real live flesh and blood. Oh, she couldn't have done that to me. Not Nettie. But I hear it. And it's coming from you. It's coming from you. You have just heard another adventure into the unknown world of the future. The world of... Dimension X. Next week, Dimension X moves to a new day and time. It will originate in New York on Saturdays from 8 to 8.30 p.m., beginning September 8th. Consult your local newspaper for the exact day and time in your locality. And don't miss Mary Leinster's story of deep space. First contact. Dimension X is presented each week by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of the magazine Astounding Science Fiction. Today, Dimension X has presented Marionette. Incorporated. Written for radio by George Leffert from the story by Ray Bradbury. Featured in the cast were Kermit Murdoch as Henry, Martin Rudy as Brailing, and Ross Martin as Brailing, too. Your host was Norman Rose. Music by Albert Berman. Fred Collins speaking. Dimension X is produced by William Welch and directed by Fred Way. Dragnet, the story of your police force, is next on NBC. Did I not lie? That was a freaky one. And that ending, oof, that one took me by surprise. Now, the next show is entitled Dark Venture. And this was a thriller anthology series that ran on ABC from February 1946 to February 1947. It was created and directed by Leonard Rieg, produced by John Donald Wilson, and it was narrated by actor John Lake. The premise of each episode was the point of view of the killer. The radio play tonight is entitled The Man in 206. 
and it was first broadcasted on February 12th, 1940. So, we all know the drill by now. <laughs> Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to The Man in 206. Dark Venture. of mortal men come many shadows, shadows of greed and hate, jealousy and fear. Darkness is the absence of light, so in the sudden shadows which fog the minds of men and women are to be found the strange impulses which urge them into the unknown. Dark Venture. American Broadcasting Company presents Carl Harburg in The Man in 206. I paused on the threshold of room 206. Inside the room was the killer playing the piano in the dark. I struggled to hold my nerves in check, alone in the house, with him. My fingers closed around the small axe as I slowly turned the doorknob. And then, as it is with a drowning man, everything that had happened these last few weeks, everything that had brought me to this door, flashed through my mind. For me, it all began that night the reporter came. The fourth murder in the neighborhood had occurred only the night before, and the papers were full of it. They were calling the killer the executioner, and they said he killed only the helpless. I read all this as I sat in the lobby of my rooming house, and the thought wouldn't leave me. Could it be Frazier? Could it be the man in 206? Oh, I was letting my nerves run away with me. I was letting my hatred for Frazier warp my mind. It was just that everything was falling apart and I couldn't stop it. I remembered how grateful I'd been when Aunt Martha had willed me this rooming house. A chance to make something of my life. Sure, fine chance. In less than a month, I was on the verge of bankruptcy. Three more tenants had left me today. And all because of Fraser. The outside door opened and a young man came in, shaking the rain from his hat. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, what can I do for you, sir? I don't know. That sign on the door intrigues me no end. Uh, how's that? The sign that says vacancy. I didn't think they printed signs like that anymore. Oh, uh, you want a room? Yeah. But I also want a story. A big pardon? My name's Martin. I'm a reporter on the Globe. A reporter? Yeah. Every day on my way to the police station to hear the latest exploits of our friend, the uh, executioner, I pass this rooming house. Every day I see that strange little sign. Vacancy. Uh, I'm afraid I still don't understand... In this city, hundreds of good, solid citizens are living in chicken coops and garages. 
all-night theaters or streetcars because there's no place else to live. Yet, here in their midst is a vacancy. But no one accepts the vacancy. Why? Well, uh, most of my guests are transients. They come and go. So I always have a vacancy. That's all there is to it. In times like these... Why do they come and go? Now, look here. Your place looks clean enough. I don't imagine your rates are too high. Look, if you want a room... And also, why are you so upset? There must be a story here. Let my fellow reporters worry about the executioner. I'll tell the story of the vacant room. But I tell you, there isn't any story. As I said... Yeah, yeah, I know what you said. I also saw how pale you got when you said it. Look, I'm very busy tonight. When you came in, you said you wanted a room. Do you want it or don't you? Sure. I'll take a room. Make it for a week. Or do you think that's long enough to find out what drives people away? I really shouldn't have rented the reporter a room. With so many of my rooms vacant, I just couldn't afford not to. After I'd showed him to his place, I decided to see Inspector Garland... After all, he'd been living here in the roaming house for the last eight years, and though I didn't know him very well, Aunt Martha had always considered him her prized tenant. I went down the hall to the inspector's room. I had to talk to somebody. I was desperate. Come in, come in. Inspector, I'd like to speak to you, if I may. Oh, Mr. Wilson, come in. Don't tell me I've forgotten to pay my rent again. Oh, no, it's nothing like that. It's... Don't be bashful to tell me, man. I've got no memory for details. Your poor aunt was always hemming and hawing, trying to get her money without embarrassing me. Inspector Garland, it's not the rent. I need your advice. Advice? Yes. Oh, what am I going to do about him? Him? I don't understand. Well, Mr. Fraser, of course, the man in 206. Mr. Fraser, I don't think I know him. What about him? Well, didn't you hear him last night? Uh, I've been working nights for the last three weeks trying to find some trace of this creature the newspapers call the executioner. You'll have to bring me up to date. Well, this Mr. Fraser, he must drink or something. He usually comes in after midnight and begins to pound on an old piano I have up there till he's waking the whole building. Because of him, I've lost every one of my old tenants except you, Inspector. Yeah, for Pete's sake, why don't you tell him to leave? Well, that's just it. I've never even seen the man. What? My housekeeper, Stella, rented the room to him a week before I came. He paid for two months in advance and no one's seen him since. But if you'd been here at night, you'd certainly have heard him. Did you ever try leaving him a note, ordering him to behave himself? Yes, last night. I left a note in his door. This morning, the note was torn to shreds. Well, I guess the only thing I can suggest is to wait until the next time he creates a rumpus and then call one of our boys to come in and arrest him for disturbing the peace. Inspector, I'm afraid to wait until next time. Huh? Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe it's just my imagination, but... Yes, each time Fraser has gone into one of his rages, there was a murder reported in this neighborhood. The next day, I think Fraser. Fraser might be this executioner. And your housekeeper is the only one who's seen Fraser? Yes. All right, come on, let's talk to her. You won't say anything about what I suspect. It'll only upset Stella. No, I won't say anything. Oh, here's her room. Stella, it's me, Mr. Wilson. Come in, Mr. Wilson. Oh, Inspector Garland. Why are you packing, Stella? I was just going to tell you I'm leaving. Leaving? But why? Well, I'm not at all well, you know. I've been under a doctor's care for the last five years, and now this excitement, well, it's just too much. You mean Fraser, Stella? Him and, and that killer, too. 
I'm worried and frightened all the time. It's just too much. Well, where are you going? To my sister's place. I'm sorry, Mr. Wilson. Before you took over, I'd worked for your Aunt Martha, God rest her soul, for eight years. But I've got to think of myself. But I'm trying to get rid of Fraser. You'll never get rid of him. Why do you say that, sir? That's just how I feel. Oh, I'm just a bundle of nerves, that's all I am. You're the one who rented Fraser's room, aren't you, Stella? Yes, I'm sorry to say. It was just a few days after Martha died, and Mr. Wilson hadn't come yet to take over the place, so I was in charge. Did he seem like the kind of fellow who would carry on like this? Oh, no, he was real nice. Paid two months in advance, gave me a good tip when I showed him his room. He seemed fine. And when was the first time you heard him go into one of these rages? Oh, please, I, I told my sister I'd be at a place in an hour. I, I've just got to finish packing. Stella, Inspector Garland is trying to help me. I'm at the end of my rope. Now, please tell him what you heard. Well... All right. I'll tell you about the first time I heard him. It was just about ten days after he'd moved in. I'd gone to bed early, like I usually do, and it wasn't long before I was found asleep. First, I, I didn't know what had awakened me. Then I realized it was somebody playing the piano. I looked at my dresser clock. Why, it was almost two o'clock in the morning. I put on my robe and went to the door. It was Mr. Higgins, one of our tenants. What kind of a place do you people run here? Listen to that racket. How are people supposed to sleep? Well, where's it coming from? That new guy, Frazier in 206. Well, I'll go tell him to stop. Yeah, do that. He's got the whole building away. I hurried down the hall to 206. There was something so wild about that piano playing. It kind of gave me the creeps. Now I'm standing in front of the door. Mr. Frazier... Frazier, I, I want to see you a moment. Suddenly, the piano stopped. Then I happened to look up at the transom, and I realized there was no light in the room. He'd been playing in the dark. Then I heard him walking real slow to the door. The strangest feeling came over me. Everything was suddenly so quiet. I, I looked down the hallway. All the doors were closed. Mr. Higgins had gone back to his room. Fraser had unlocked the door. My heart started pounding frantically. But why should it? Then the door started to open. But I couldn't see anything except the darkness of his room. Suddenly I, I turned and started running down the hall. That's the way it happened to me. I, I can't explain why I ran away, even today. But I just couldn't stand there. I, I just couldn't. All right, Stella, all right. That's why I've got to leave. My nerves aren't what they used to be. Maybe after I rest up for a while at my sister, sister's, maybe maybe I'll be all right. You see what he's done, Inspector. I've got to get rid of him. How many times has something like this happened, Stella? I've heard him play like that four times, and always the same song. But after that first time, I've never gone to his room again except to clean it twice a week. During the day when he isn't there. The room's down the hall, isn't it? Yes. You got the key? Yes. Well, come on. Let's take a look at it. Wait. Mr. Wilson. What? I don't want him to hear. Well, what are you talking about? I'll be leaving in a few minutes, but when I get to my sister's house, I'll call you. Coming, Miss Wilson? I've got something to tell you. What? You'll hear from me. Well, are you coming? Yes. Yes, I'm coming. <laughs> Yes. Nice piano. 
place looks all right. Where's that door go? Uh, a small dressing room. It's part of Fraser's place. Why is it locked? Well, it shouldn't be. Got a key to it? Yes, I think so. It's right in the swing here. This one should open it. Let's look inside. Good-looking clothes. You must have money. What's this bundle in the corner? Mm, looks like dirty clothes. Look at this shirt. Blood. And these trousers. All bloody. And I was right. It is Fraser. He is the killer. Well, maybe. Maybe not. I'll have to have the blood analyzed. But if we wait until he comes back, it may be too late. List. Come on. It's him. He's come back. Hello, gentlemen. Martin. What are you doing in this room? Didn't I tell you? I'm a frustrated Paderewski. How come I don't have a piano in my room? Haven't I seen you around headquarters? Aren't you a reporter with the Globe? That's right, Inspector. I'm also a fellow tenant in Mr. Wilson's establishment. Does this room hold the mystery? What mystery? Of the little vacancy sign. Or maybe of the executioner. Uh, uh, uh. There you go, getting pale again, Mr. Wilson. I was terribly upset, but I tried not to show it until after the reporter and Inspector Garland had left. Most of my life, I'd bummed around the world doing everything imaginable. Stevedore, clerk, worked in nightclubs, everything. I was in a hospital clear across the country, recovering from a barroom brawl, when I'd learned I'd inherited the rowing house. It was like a godsend. And now this frightful thing was happening. And if I didn't make a go of my rowing house, I'd be right back where I started. Then, at about 11.15 that night, the phone in the lobby started ringing. Hey, hello. Hello, Mr. Wilson. Oh, yes, Stella. I told you you'd hear from me, remember? Yes, what did you want to tell me, Stella? I wouldn't want to say it over the phone, Mr. Wilson. Well, then why didn't you tell me before? I couldn't. Not with the inspector around. I don't understand. I lied to the inspector. That night when all the noise was going on, I did see something in Mr. Frazier's room that I didn't want to tell about. Why? Because I don't think I really understand it. What did you see? Well, like I said, I, I don't want to tell you over the phone, Mr. Wilson. You come over to my sister's house and I'll tell you. But there's nobody here to watch the place. Just the same. You come along, Mr. Wilson. It's 354 Westover Place. It's only about a mile. Oh, well, all right. Uh, 354 Westover. There's not much doing here. Uh, I'll be over in half an hour. Fine. I'll wait up for you. And don't you tell Inspector Garland you're coming. Understand? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. I, I understand. After I'd hung up, two people came in for rooms, and I was busy with them. And then it started raining again, and I couldn't walk through the rain. I tried calling a taxi, but there weren't any available. And when I looked at my watch again, it was after midnight. Then I tried calling Stella to tell her I wouldn't be able to make it that night and not to wait up for me. But I didn't know her sister's number. At 12.30, I went to bed, and I couldn't fall asleep from all the excitement. I finally got up and took some aspirin, and within minutes, I was dead to the world. Just a minute. Come on, Wilson. Hurry. Inspector Garland. What's wrong? There's been another killing. Only this time it strikes home. 
What? Your housekeeper, Stella. She was found on the porch of her sister's house. Strangled. After Inspector Garland told me about Stella, I told him about her phoning me earlier and saying she'd seen something unusual in 206. Then the inspector wanted to see the rooming house register. I took him downstairs and he thumbed through the pages so he found what he wanted. William Friday, here we are. Registered November 2nd. And the first of these killings was around then, wasn't it? Yeah. Home address, Spokane, Washington. Business, salesman. Mm, not much help. No. If there were an address in California, maybe we could trace him. But we don't have any description to go on. Stella's the only one who's ever seen him. Uh, wait. Here's that reporter. I don't want him to know we suspect Tracy. Say, that's Stella Falvin, the woman who got killed tonight. She worked for you, didn't she, Mr. Wilson? Yes. Why do you suppose she was murdered? Well, I'm sure I don't know. Looks like the work of our friend, the executioner. Huh, Inspector? Perhaps. Ah, being a reporter's worse than being a milkman. My paper sent a kid over here at 3 o'clock to wake me up and have me cover this killing. A fine life. Trouble was, I'd just fallen asleep about an hour before. You didn't tell me about these piano recitals, Mr. Wilson. Piano? Take it easy. When I saw you two in room 206, I figured it was vacant. It, it is vacant. Uh-uh. No. Some guy was inside 206 hammering on that piano. And I mean hammering. Is that what chases all the tenants away, Mr. Wilson? I told you. Yeah, I know what you told me. Oh, well. I'm going to hit the hay for a while. I'm dead. He's gone to his room. Come on. Let's go upstairs to 206. Quick. You think Fraser's in there now? There's a chance. Give me a pass key. He's not here. But he's been here. Look at this room. Torn to pieces. Yeah. Now, look. I don't want that reporter to know about Fraser. If he finds out about him, he'll plaster the story all over the front page of that paper of his. Ah, I guess that doesn't matter anymore. Oh, but it does matter. Hmm? Frazier's some kind of a nut. I'll bet anything on it. And he'll be coming back to this rooming house if he doesn't find out we're wise to him. You think so? You're getting a guest tomorrow. A guest? I'm planting a man in this house to watch a day and night. And one of these nights, if we're lucky, we're going to hear that piano again. But we didn't hear the piano again. And Inspector Garland didn't seem to make any progress finding Fraser. I checked with all the California police chiefs. Any luck? None. He's not wanted for anything. That's a cinch. Maybe he uses a false name. Maybe. Well, that makes it even better. You sure he's never come back to the room? I'm sure. Well, I guess we'll just have to keep waiting. I lost all interest in the rooming house. I wasn't able to hire another housekeeper... Although there was no more piano playing, one by one, my other tenants left me. I'm checking out, Mr. Wilson. Prepare my bill. <sighs> yes, Mr. Higgins. This certainly isn't the same kind of rooming house your aunt used to run. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Higgins. Finally, the only tenants left were Inspector Garland, the policeman he planted in the house to watch for Fraser, and Martin, the newspaper man. I see you took your vacancy sign down today. Yeah, I'm thinking of closing my rooming house. Looks like I'm not going to get my story after all, huh, Mr. Wilson? Yeah, it looks that way, Mr. Martin. I placed the rooming house up for sale and started cleaning the rooms and getting everything in order. And it was while cleaning Fraser's room that I made a discovery that sent me running to Inspector Garland's room. Inspector! 
Look what I found. What is it? A snapshot? Yes, a man and a woman. And look what's written on back. Huh? Bell and William Frazier, Stockton, California, 1942. Where'd you find it? It was in one of the dresser drawers underneath the paper Stella had used to line the drawers. Uh, this is what I needed. We're going to find Frazier at last. <laughs> That was three days ago. Then tonight, at about 10.30, Inspector Garland got a telephone call. He was out. He'd been gone all evening. But the policeman he'd planted in the house took the call, and when he hung out, I could see he was pretty excited. When Garland comes in, tell him I went to headquarters. Tell him he'd better get down there, too. Something happened? Yeah, they just located your rumor. William Fraser. You mean they've arrested him? Not exactly. His wife just came down from Stockton and identified his body. Body? Fraser checked into your roomy house on November the 2nd, didn't he? That's right. Well, on the night of November the 2nd, he was killed by a hit-and-run driver. I don't understand. Why we're waiting for him to start playing that piano. He's been lying on a slab in a county morgue waiting to be identified. Then Fraser couldn't have been the killer. You're catching on fast, Mr. Wilson. After the detective left... I was all alone in the rooming house. I locked the front door and went up to my room. My head was pounding. It had never been Fraser. Fraser was dead, that's all I could think. I stretched out on my bed in the darkness, my mind searching for an answer. If it wasn't Fraser, who was it? Why had I ever accepted this rooming house? Why had I ever come to this place? Why. The piano. For a moment, I thought my imagination was playing some crazy trick. I clamped my hands over my ears to see if the music was in my head. No, it was real. The killer had returned. And there was nobody in the house but me. I don't know how long I crouched on the bed. I was terrified. What was I going to do? The music went on and on. Then finally, I couldn't stand it any longer. I was going to see who was playing that piano. I was going to find the killer. But I needed something to protect myself. I remembered the tool cabinet in the service closet in the hallway. I left my room and hurried over to it. I snapped on the light, and there, on top of the cabinet, was what I wanted. A small axe. Then I started for room 206. I saw through the transom that there was no light in 206. He was playing the piano in the dark, just as Stella had said. Now I was standing before the closed door. My nerves were at the breaking point. My hand closed around the doorknob. I turned the knob ever so slowly. The door was unlocked. I gripped the axe so hard my fingers ached. And then quickly I flung open the door and snapped the light. You! Are you shot, Mr. Wilson? You killed those people. You're the one they're looking for. This should make you a big man, Mr. Wilson. But what are you going to do about it? I'm going to call the police. The telephone's downstairs. Do you think I just wait here while you call? Then I'll stay here with you until Inspector Garland comes back and I'm warning you don't try anything. Is it okay if I play the piano? Why did you kill them? They were all so helpless, so defenseless. Maybe I couldn't help myself. Maybe I didn't even know I was the killer. Maybe it was a sickness in my head. It's got a name for that, you know, for a guy who kills and doesn't know he kills. It's called schizophrenia or something like that. And if a guy gets overtired or too excited, he can get an attack even from something as simple as a song. Well, you killed Stella, too. She was a good woman. She'd worked hard all her... Uh, must you play that same infernal tune over and over again? I like it. It's got kind of a strange rhythm to it when you think about it. Hasn't it? I don't care about its rhythm. Just stop playing it. Listen. Kind of gets inside you, doesn't it? You're trying to confuse me. That's what you're up to. I hear you once played the piano in nightclubs. I asked you to play something else. Yeah. 
I hear this tune was your introduction number. I hear you were playing it that night you got hurt in the brawl. It's a good song. What are you doing? What are you trying? What are you doing to I'm me? I'm just playing the piano, that's all. I tell you, stop. Stop that song. Stop it, I tell you, stop it. Hey, hey. Take it easy. I'm stopped. You're all alike. Always trying to outsmart the little guy. Always trying to destroy the sick and the helpless. But you can't outsmart me, can you? I don't let you get away with it, do I? I don't let you trample the helpless into the dust. I bring them rest and sleep. I bring them peace everlasting. It's your kind who hurt them. But you won't hurt anyone anymore. I'm going to kill you. Like I killed all the others. <laughs> He's dead, Inspector. I'm sorry I had to do it that way. Why are you sorry? Isn't it best for him? Yeah, maybe it is. For a minute there, I thought you were going to stay in that dressing room until he scalped me. It was the only thing we could do. I had to get a confession. When did you first suspect him? When I found out he was the only one in the rooming house who'd never heard the music. And, of course, when I found out that Frazier had been dead all along. But I had to prove it. Why do you think he killed Stella? Stella had called him and told him she'd seen something in 206. You know, that sickness he had is a strange thing. He had an attack that night. And though he became a completely different man, he still remembered Stella's call and was afraid she'd seen him. So, he went and killed her. Kind of makes you feel woozy, don't it? Yeah. You know, after this, people are going to start saying I'm nuts, too. What do you mean? From now on, every time I see a vacancy sign, I'm going to run like the devil. mortal men come many shadows, shadows of greed and hate, jealousy and fear. Darkness is the absence of light. So in the sudden shadows which fog the minds of men and women are to be found the strange impulses which urge them on to their venture in the dark. Dark Venture is written by Larry Marcus and directed by William T. Johnson. Next week at the same time over most of these ABC stations, we'll bring you another original story from the land of the shadows. Tonight's dark venture, Carl Harbord was heard as Eddie, Ben Alexander as the reporter, Herb Butterfield as the inspector, Leora Thatcher as Stella, and Harry Lang as the policeman. John Lake was the narrator. Original music by Basil Adlam.
members of the armed services brought or sent to the United States from various theaters of war captured enemy firearms, such as machine guns and machine pistols. Some of these weapons have subsequently fallen into the hands of the lawless element and have been used in committing robberies and murders as well as other crimes. They constitute a serious hazard to effective law enforcement. The National Firearms Act requires the registration with the Bureau of Internal Revenue of any firearm from which a number of shots or bullets may be discharged with one continuous pull of the trigger. This is an appeal to the good reasoning of the possessors of trophy firearms. For the protection of your families and society in general, it's your duty to register the firearm and have it rendered inoperative. Don't delay. Just write to the Commissioner of Internal Revenue, Washington, D.C., who will have a representative assist you free of charge. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. That's our show for this evening. I keep on saying our. That's the show for this evening. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970. Or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd. Or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1. And if you want to drop me a line, a request, a suggestion, hey, even a critique, send me an email at radioshownerd at gmail.com. And I do have a YouTube channel, basically Terror Radio Podcast, with one video. Because unfortunately, I'm not able to backlog and make videos from all the past episodes. So if you get a chance, check it out and subscribe. Again, this is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, signing off.